0: Before I delve so fully and completely into the subject I'm going to get into right now, I have been passed along a text and shot along a message that the producers have asked me and wanted me to talk about so much in depth of something and bring something up first. Something that those who have listened to my podcast before and listened to several episodes before know very well forwards and backwards. That... Sears and Kaylee and their daughter Kaylyss, which is yes. Those who don't know, Kaylyss is a combination of her mother's names, C A Y from Kaylee and L Y S from. Oh, sorry, C A Y, C A Y L. Yeah, I know that they're correct me when I say this after I get this out. C A Y L from Kaylee and Y S because that's all they could figure out how to get into the the other mother's name in there, from Cirrus. Now, a lot of people ask, how do you pronounce her name? And why is her name so different than anything else I've ever heard? Or, for her lack of a matter, anyone else in her family? Well, her name is C-E-R-Y-S. And I know you you if you write that out or you kind of visualize it in your head, it says Cirrus. Well, that's easy. That's kind of like how you're trying to quickly pronounce it or how you're trying to get it out really quickly. That's how it quickly how it's quickly pronounced, but she has said, and her her mom and her sister and her brother will repeatedly say that's actually the closest the closest English pronunciation to what it actually may be is Sirius, like S E A R or S E A from how you see the beginnings of Seattle, S E A, and then R Y S. So Sear So that's that's actually the correct pronunciation as far as I know, of her name. Now, a little bit of the explanation of that is that her name is Welsh. And her name means love. And she got that name, or her mom gave her that name, when she was this, now, like like several episodes before I've said, she is one of two clones. She is an identical twin. And she is younger by, I think, and she'll correct me if I'm wrong here. And there's the text. Yep, <laughs> she's listening. So there is a text right now. Yes, she's about a minute, about a minute younger than her sister, than her twin. Um, Alyssa is about a minute older, and Cirrus is about a minute younger. So they're, they're about. This, they pretty much came out at almost the same time. There was a brief pause for her mom to attempt to relax between the two, but they came out. Now, what they wanted me to get into, wanted me to mention, is that um, they have met someone. They have met a couple. They were in, they're at a mall, I believe, South Center out here in Seattle. Has a Disney, it does. It has a Disney store in there. And they, and they were going in and they were shopping around the Disney, shopping around in the Disney store. And they met a couple. Two girls, they're named, named, let me think about it here, and I know they sent me their names, Chloe, there it is, right, Chloe and Caitlin, two, two teenagers, about 18, 19, probably about 18, they met them when they were shopping in Disney, and Caitlin said that, that Chloe just came out to her parents, and caitlin was so proud of her and so honored of her that she wanted to celebrate she wanted to take her girlfriend out for a shopping trip and what Cirus and kaylee are saying is that when they met them and they talked to them they were so like they were so cute and if you ask me in my opinion because i haven't met them i don't know them it's hard to see that there's a couple in this world any cuter than Cirus and kaylee it's really really hard to see that. <laughs> well, now well, I know I could be wrong and I know I can be wrong in anything. But it's really hard to imagine that that's the case. But what Kaylee is saying is that they were so cute and they were so proud of each other. And to the the Caitlin was so proud of her girlfriend and was so happy to be the lucky one to be on her arm. It just reminded me so much of Sirius and Kaylee, how honored they are to be around each other and how proud of each other they are. And I apologize for the for the wind whipping that you guys may hear because there's wind in the background. So I apologize for that. But they just wanted me to shout out to to shout out uh, Chloe and Caitlin because they're just about 18 or 19 and they just met him in Disney and they're they're so they're so cute and they're so. They, they love each other so much, and they're, they're so... And Kaylee says that... Yeah, there it is in the text again. Kaylee says that it reminds her so much of when she and Cirrus first met. The way she knew, the way she knew it was her. The way she looked at Cirrus, and she knew that she was going to marry her. And that she knew that she was going to be the mother of her children. And it's just... that—that That is so amazing to me. That is so beautiful and so awesome to me. How... You can... How anyone can know within meeting someone that they love them. That they're in love with them. And that they're going to marry them and bear their children and have their children. I, I apologize. I swore I was never going to use that statement, bear their children, because it sounds weird to my ears now that I've said it. But it's out there, so... Uh, it's just, but Kaylee has repeatedly said that there was never, never an ish, never a thought in her mind ever once she met Cirrus that it was, that it was ever going to be another girl. That it was ever, it ever could be someone else. She knew that she loved Cirrus and she knew that she was going to marry Cirrus and have her child, have her daughter. Now, and that's just, awesome. that's just cool. That's just beyond beautiful and beyond awesome and like and like everyone who knows me and knows their history and knows the history of the of the three of us four of us including their daughter um, knows that I performed their wedding I'm an ordained officiant so I performed their wedding and they're just it's just it was such an honor such such uh, an honor to me to, to stand up there and unite anyone and that's kind of why kind of why I became an ordained efficient. Why why I am an ordained efficient. I love weddings. Some of the some of the funnest, most wonderful, beautiful moments of life that and I feel so lucky to be considered to be part of that. To experience a couple's love for each other and see how close a couple is. And I'm so overwhelmed with emotion and so touched by something so incredibly beautiful that to be considered to be a part of that is so cool and and I thought, well I've been to one wedding every year or every every three or four, three to five years every three or five years I've been it's been such a long time since I've been to a wedding, how could I do this prominently how could I do this every uh, as much as I wanted to and as frequently as I, as I could well, become ordained become an ordained deficient. Now being an ordained deficient I can do everything that a minister can like last rites and other things well I w- wouldn't ever want to do last rites because I understand who would but I, I can, I still can I still, I still can do last rites, I can do baptisms, I can do one of the things I use it most commonly for like I said, I married Sirius and Keeley I can do weddings and just to see the two of them, just to see the two of them, is incredible. And just to see, you—they don't. You just to see just the way when Kaylee holds Sirius's hand, and vice versa. Just the way she looks at her. The only thought that occurs to me is, I want that. The way she looks at her, the way she loves her, and the amount of love and passion. That she has in her eyes when she looks at someone, when she looks at her wife, is infectious. It's like I want that. I want to be able to feel that. And what they both repeatedly said to me is, "You will. You'll see that. You'll have that. And you'll feel that. And we want you. We want you to feel as much love as we have for each other. We want you to feel that. And we are. No, Sirius has repeatedly said to me." You presided over our weddings, and you married us. We expect to be invited to yours, and we will be there. And yes, of course, and I know you're listening because you're sending me texts right now. Um, There's a way the producers, just like me, if they record, there's a way their producers can tap into the stream and hear it exactly as I'm recording it. Kind of a... not a live stream kind of thing. Not like a live stream, but kind of like a radio program or kind of like a... Bluetooth sort of thing, kind of like that, so it's just, it's really kind of, it's really very cool and really very interesting, so what I kind of wanted to get at for the rest of this for the rest of the episode, and thanks for bearing with that as long as you can as best as you have, is espionage I'm spying, and it's just the whole I, whole, I love stories of espionage and love the history of it and where it might have come from as well as other intelligent other intelligence assessment has existed since ancient times in the 1980s scholars characterized foreign intelligence as the missing dimension of historical scholarship since then a large popular and scholarly literature has been has emerged special attention has been paid to World War II, as well as the Cold War era from about 1947 to 1989 that was a favorite for novelists and filmmakers Early history efforts to use espionage for military advantage are well documented throughout history. The most famous one being Sun Tzu's Art of War. A theorist in ancient China who influenced Asian military thinking still has an audience in the 21st century for the Art of War. Sun Tzu. Right, I just said that. He advised, in his novel, One who knows the enemy and knows himself, will not be endangered by a hundred engagements. He stressed the need to understand yourself and your enemy for military intelligence. He identified different spy roles. In modern terms, they include the secret information or agent in place, one who provides copies of enemy secrets. The penetration agent who who has access to the enemy's commanders and a disinformation agent who feeds a mix of true and false details to point the enemy in the wrong direction to confuse the enemy as well. He considered the the need for systematic organization and noted the roles of counterintelligence, double agents, and psychological warfare. Sun Tzu continued to influence Chinese espionage theory in the 21st century with its emphasis on using information to design active subversion. Chanakaya Chanakaya, also called K U K A U T I L Y A. Try to pronounce that because I can't. Wrote his and another long word here, A-R-T-H A-S-H-A-S-T-R-A, in India in the fourth century BC. It was a textbook of statecraft and political economy that provides the detailed account of the intelligence collection processing consumption and covert operations as indispensable means for maintaining and expanding the security and power of the state. Ancient Egypt had a thoroughly developed system for acquisition and in, of intelligence. The Hebrews used spies as well as in the story of Rahab Rahab thanks to the Bible Joshua 221. 24 we have in his in this story of the spies sent by Hebrews to Jericho before attacking the city one of the earliest detailed reports of a very sophisticated intelligence operation spies were spies were also prevalent in the Greek and Roman empires well duh makes perfect sense during the 13th and 14th centuries The Mongols relied heavily on espionage in their conquests in Asia and Europe. Feudal Japan often used shinobi to gather intelligence. A significant milestone was established, an an effective milestone was the establishment of an effective intelligence service under King David IV of Georgia at the beginning of the 12th century, or possibly even earlier. Called Most Doverist. M- MST, there's a lot of consonants there, MST OVARIS these organized organized spies perform crucial tasks like uncovering feudal conspiracies, conducting counterintelligence, conducting counterintelligence against enemy spies and in infiltrating key locations e.g. castles, fortresses and palaces Aztecs used poke P-O-C-H-T-E-K-A-S I tried, but I got halfway through the P-O-C and went, nope, I can't pronounce that correctly and do it justice the way it's supposed to be pronounced. People in charge of commerce as spies and diplomats and had diplomatic immunity. Although with the with the people I just mentioned there, before Battle of War, secret agents were sent to spy amongst enemies, usually wearing local costume Speaking the local language techniques, local language speaking the local language tex- techniques similar to modern secret agents. Many modern espionage methods were established by Francis Walsingham in, Isla, in Elizabethan England. His staff included the crypto- cryptographer Thomas Phillips, P H E L I P P E S. Who was an expert in deciphering letters and forgery, and Arthur Gregory, who was skilled at breaking and repairing seals without detection. The Catholic exiles fought back when the Welsh exile Hugh Owen created an intelligence service that tried to neutralize that of Walsingham. Of Walsingham. In fifty oh the famous one here in 1585, Mary Queen of Scots was placed in the custody of Sir Sir Ammius Paulette who was instructed to open and read all of Mary's clandestine correspondence. In a successful attempt to expose her, Walsingham acquired a single exception, a covert means for Mary's letters to be smuggled in and out of a char- of Chartley in a beer keg. Marley, Mary was misled into, into thinking these secret letters were secure, while in reality, they were deciphered and read by Walsingham's agents. He succeeded in a- intercepting letters that indicated a conspiracy to displace Elizabeth I with Mary. In foreign intelligence, Walsingham's extensive network of intelligencers who passed on general news as well as secrets spanned Europe and the Mediterranean. While foreign intelligence was a normal part of the principal secretary's a- activities, Walsingham brought it flare and to flare an ambition a large sum of his own money and a large sum of his own money he cast his net more widely than anyone had attempted before exploiting links across the continent as well as in constantinople which is now istanbul and algiers and building and inserting contacts among catholic exiles in the 18th century A lot of things occurred in the 18th century. The 18th century saw a dramatic expansion of espionage activities. A lot of this from my notes, and a lot of my notes are kind of vague, so I apologize for taking vague notes, so therefore I had to refer back to Wikipedia and History.com and what else. It was a time of war. In nine years out of ten, two or more major powers were at war. Armies grew much larger, with corresponding budgets likewise the foreign ministries all grew in size and complexity national budgets expanded to pay for those expansions for these expansions and room was found for intelligence departments with full-time staffers and well-paid spies and agents these militaries themselves became more bureaucratized more bureaucratized and sent out military military attachés military accompaniment military aids kind of what a best way to describe what an attache might be anyone who can describe a little bit better or define a little bit better is more than welcome to do so please um comment in the in show notes or comment um in an email to UncdFiasco at gmail.com that's the podcast email and anything that's better anything that you can better define or better clarify we'll be happy to acknowledge and happy to uh, issue a correction on. Cause I will admit, while it sounds like I know a lot, I don't. There's things I may get wrong and please, please, if I'm off on something or I get something wrong, please I beg of you, please correct me. Because I would rather give someone the correct information and the right information than give them the wrong information and kind of have them risk being misled. let so that's just kind of just kind of odd in that. France, under King Louis the Fourteenth was the largest, richest, and most powerful nation. It had many enemies and few friends, and tried to keep track of all them through a well-organized intelligence system based on major cities all over Europe. France and England pioneered a cabinet, no- a cabinet noir, whereby foreign conspiracy cor- whereby foreign correspondence was opened and deciphered, then forwarded to the recipient. France's chief ministers, especially Cardinal Marz- Mazarin, did not invent did not invent the new methods. They combined the best practices from other states and supported it at the highest political and financial levels. To critics and authoritarian governments, it appeared that spies were everywhere. Parisian dis- Parisian dissidents of the 18th century thought that they were surrounded by as many as perhaps thirty thousand police spies. However, the police records indicate a maximum of three hundred paid informers. The myth was deliberately designed to inspire fear and hyper caution. The police wanted opponents on, the police wanted opponents and people to think that they were under close watch. The critics also seemed to like the myth for it gave them a sense of importance and an aura of mystery. Ordinary Parisians felt more secure believing that the police were actively dealing with troublemakers. To the British, to deal with the most continuous wars in France, London set up a lab- an elaborate system to gather intelligence on France and other powers. Since the British had deciphered the code system of most states, it relied heavily on intercepted mail and dispatches. A few agents in the postal system could intercept intercept likely correspondence and have it copied and forwarded to the intended receiver, as well as to London. Active spies were also used, especially to estimate estimate military, military and naval strength and activities. Once the information was in hand, analysts tracked to interpret diplomatic policies and intentions of states. Of special concern of special concern in the first half of the century were the activity of Jacobites, Englishmen and French who supported the plot who, support, who had support in, the, in plotting to overthrow the Hanoverian kings of England. It was high priority to find men in England and Scotland who had secret Jacobites sympathies. One highly successful operation took place in Russia, Under the supervision of Minister Charles Whitworth, he closely observed public events and noted changing power status of key leaders. He cultivated influential and knowledgeable persons at the royal court, and befriended foreigners in Russian service, and in turn they provided insights into high-level Russian planning and personalities, which he summarized and sent in code to London. In 1719, Britain made it it illegal to entice skilled workers to emigrate. Nevertheless, small-scale efforts continued continued in secret. At mid-century 1740s to 1770s, the French Bureau of Commerce had a budget and a plan and systematically hired British and French spies to obtain industrial and military military technology. They had some success deciphering English technology regarding plate glass, the hardwire and steel industry, as well. They had mixed success enticing some workers and getting foiled in other attempts. The Spanish were technological laggards, technological laggards, and tried to jumpstart industry the system, through systemized industrial espionage. The Marquis of Ensenada. A minister of the king sent in sent trusted military officers on a series of missions between seventeen forty-eight and seventeen sixty. They focused on current technology regarding shipbuilding, steam engines, copper refining, canal canals, metallurgy, and cannon making. And during the American Revolution, here's a big one with spies and the, the I'm sure you've heard of the the underground and all sorts of interesting stuff like that. Just the spy technology that existed in the U.S. colonies during the the revolution was very intriguing, very, very interesting. During the American Revolution between 1775 and 1783, U.S. General George Washington developed a successful espionage system to detect British locations and plans. In 1778, he ordered Major Benjamin Talmadge to form the Culper Ring, to collect information about the British and the British in British in New York, Washington was usually mindful of treachery, but he ignored incidents of disloyalty by someone such as Benedict Arnold, his most trusted general. Arnold tried to betray West tried to betray West Point to the British army, but was discovered and barely managed to escape. The British intelligence system was weak. It completely mis- missed the movement of the entire American and French armies from the Northeast to Yorktown, Virginia, where they captured the British invasion army in 1781 and won independence. Washington has been called America's first spy master. What is often identified and what often is kind of not really known about the Culper Ring is just what, what it was and what it entails and what it did. The Culper, Rings, Culper Ring was an, American, was an American Revolutionary War spy ring organized by Major Benjamin Tallmadge and George Washington. Set up in 1778 during the British occupation of New York City, the name Culper was suggested by Washington, taken from the Culper, taken from Culper County, Virginia. The two leaders were Abraham Woodhull and Robert Townsend using the alias of Samuel Culper, Sr. and Samuel Culper, Jr., respectively. Talmadge was also referred to as John Bolton. While Talmadge was their direct contact, Washington often directed its operations. Their task was to provide Washington information on British Army operations in New York City, the British headquarters, and the British headquarters. Its members operated mostly in New York City, Long Island, and Connecticut, Connecticut, beginning in late October 1778, until the British evacuation of New York in 1783. The information they supplied, including details of a surprise attack on the newly arrived French forces under Lieutenant General Rochambeau in Newport, Rhode Island, before they had recovered from their arduous sea voyage. Another plan was to counterfeit American currency on the actual paper used for the Continental Dollars, prompting the Continental Congress to retire the bills. They also informed Washington that uh, that tyrant tryans, tyrants. They also informed Washington that Tryon's raid of july seventeen seventy nine was intended to divide his forces and allow Lieutenant General Sir Henry Clinton to attack them piecemeal. In 1780, it discovered a high-ranking American officer, subsequently identified as Benedict Arnold, to turn over the virtually important information in the virtually important American fort at West Point, New York, on the Hudson River, and surrender its garrison to the British forces. So that's kind of a little bit of background on what the Culpa Ring, the Culper Ring was supposed to do, and what Washington and Talmadge had designed it to do between 1793 and 1815, during the French Revolution and Napoleonic Wars, Britain almost con- Britain almost continuously at war with France from about, from about 1793 to 1815 built a network of agents and funded local elements trying to overthrow governments hostile to Britain. It paid special attention to threats of an invasion. On the home islands into a possibly uprising in Ireland Britain in 1794 appointed William Wickham as superintendent of aliens in charge of espionage and the new secret service he strengthened the British intelligence system by emphasizing the centrality of the intelligence cycle query collection collation analysis and dissemination ...in the need for an all-source center of intelligence. There's another thing that kind of sounds... Now that... Now that I kind of touched on a little bit of that... ...and a little bit of the, the... It mentioned... I read the word alien... ...and it kind of... ...kind of jumped out... Something else jumped out to me. And... ...kind of... I kind of wanted to touch on it and kind of... Is there anyone who's ever heard of the Alien and Sedition Acts... It's it's a little... They're kind of backwards and kind of twisted and kind of very, quite, very weird. Very, very weird. The Alien and Sedition Acts were four laws passed by the Federalist document... Four laws passed by the Federalist-dominated 5th United States Congress and signed into law by President John Adams in 1798. They made it harder for an immigrant to become a citizen allowed the president to imprison and deport non-citizens who were deemed dangerous, or who were formed or who were from a hostile nation, and criminalized making false statements that were critical of the federal government. The Alien Friends Act expired two years late two years after its passage. The Alien Friends Act expi- The Alien Friends Act expired two years after its passage and the Sedition Act expired on March third, eighteen oh one, while the Naturalization Act and Alien Enemies Act had no expiration clause. So the, those those laws they don't exist anymore. And they all expired and they all went belly up and belly wherever. But that's kind of that's kinda of a little bit of a history. I saw the word alien and I kind of wonder what a little bit about the Alien Sedition Acts. And kind of and that's as much and that's kind of a little bit of a touch on the history and because the history that's been going on about espionage and how espionage has existed and how espionage has has existed and existed for a very 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 long time it goes all the way back to ancient egypt and into ancient distant probably back to the day of the dinosaurs you know probably dinosaurs probably did espionage against each other um, cavemen and stuff like that, and it's gone really far back. And some of the most famous examples of espionage, if you think about it, if you kind of, kind of think about it a little bit, you can even consider Joe Pistone, an agent of of espionage. Now, special agent, correct title is special agent Joe Pistone. Now, anyone who doesn't know who Joe Pistone is, you'll know it when I say the name Donnie Brasco. Now, everyone will start to go, Oh God, I know what that means. Joe Pistone infiltrated the Bonanno crime family under the name Donnie Brasco. So look a little more up, a little more fish, a little more, a little, more a little more story. Some of the famous, some of the famous spies in espionage in espionage history. Like I said, Sir Francis Walsingham, Christopher Marlowe of, in, during the reign of Elizabeth the First of England, during the in- English Commonwealth, uh, John Thurlow. Cromwell Spy Chief... In the American Revolution... And a lot of these names are going to sound very familiar to people... Thomas Knowlton... K-N-O-W-L-T-O-N... Nathan Hale... Hercules Mulligan... John Andre... James Armistead... And Benjamin Tallmadge. In Napoleonic Wars... Charles Louis Schulmeister... William Wickham... American Civil War... Harriet Tubman, Belle Boyd, the Confederate Secret Service, Alan Pinkerton, Christians, uh, a lot. Of, there's a lot of a lot of famous, a lot of well-known names, and there's a lot. And the depth of esp- the history of espionage—goes much, much deeper than anyone has time for. So it's really, really cool and really awesome and really interesting. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all so much for listening. And hang on, there's going to be a little bit extra. Hang on to the end a little bit more. Want to go to Vegas? Visit the best places all around the Strip and all around downtown or all around the surrounding areas? Check out the best vlogs for Vegas anywhere on YouTube at Brar Frederick over on YouTube. B-R-O-R frederick f-r-e-d-r-i-k over on youtube go over to brar frederick subscribe to his channel click that bell icon click that hit those those like those like up thumbs give give brar a follow give brar a look you'll really love what you're seeing he's an awesome streamer the best vegas streamer and the best thing to watch while you're in vegas before you go to vegas just to experience vegas as a whole hey guys check out the best cruising podcast and youtube channel for everything cruising needed everything cruise cruising enjoyed everything you love about cruising they're experts they know their stuff and they're beyond awesome you'll love the podcast you'll love their youtube channel they're the best cruising podcast out there check out fantastic cruising on the podcast on your favorite podcast devices and favorite podcast programs. And also check out Fantastic Studios on YouTube. They are beyond great. Give and Matt and Kimbra follow. Give them a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and every other podcast you choose. They are beyond awesome, and you won't be disappointed. You won't be upset in any way, shape, or form. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation. And the trevor project when you donate to the pride foundation you join thousands of supporters building a better safer more equitable world for lgbtqia plus people and their families every gift whether one dollar or one thousand makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities there are many different ways to join and help the fight also go on to their website for the pride foundation and the trevor project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.